The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Amen. Did you get that text this morning? The grave is empty. He's alive. Well, that's good because he is alive. And I pray that it has the same effect on you this morning as it did on the first who heard that message. And uh, I'm excited that you've chosen to join us to worship the Lord's resurrection uh, this Resurrection Sunday morning. You know, we start celebrating uh, the, the Holy Week on Friday, or excuse me, on Sunday, on Palm Sunday, last Sunday, which was the day they call Palm Sunday because on the day Jesus rode into town, into Jerusalem, he was on a donkey. Now, for us, we think that sounds a little bit weird, like that's not a real impressive entrance when you drive in on a donkey, but that was actually fulfillment of prophecy, which signified his royalty. And so they celebrated, they laid the palm branches down, and on, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, he was in Jerusalem, and then on Friday, he intentionally designed it or timed it so that he would be crucified that his blood would be shed on Friday. Now, do you know why he chose Friday and why we call it a good Friday? It's because on that Friday of Holy Week, they were slaughtering animals, slaughtering lambs all across the city of Jerusalem. The blood literally says the blood of the sacrifices filled the streets through the drainage systems. And what they were doing was sacrificing unblemished lamb to atone for the sins of the people. And so Jesus timed it perfectly that he would be sacrificed, that his blood would be shed on that Friday. And the reason that's good is because he was taking the penalty of the sins for his people. And then three days later, he rose from the grave. He resurrected from the grave. The social media word was sent out and everybody, I guess that was camels. They were flying around telling everybody he's alive. And so... They gathered on Sunday to celebrate, to worship, and that's what we continue to do even to this day. Over 2,000 years later, we gather together on the first day of the week to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm so glad that you're here today to celebrate with us. We're going to look at a sermon that's recorded in the book of Acts chapter 2. This sermon was originally preached by Peter. Uh, He had to explain what was going on because on this day, after the Lord rose from the grave, he ascended into heaven, as we'll see later in his sermon, Peter's explaining some weird things are going on. The people were getting the spirit of God in an unusually powerful manner. This was the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and they were acting different. And so people watching said, these dudes are drunk early in the morning. And Peter stands up and says, oh, wait, wait, wait. No, they're not drunk. This is the Spirit of God coming in a new way for the empowerment of his believers. And so Peter stands up and says, no, they're not drunk. He explains that this was the coming of the Spirit of God in power on their lives. And then he continues to explain what all God did to save his people. And what I pray happens today is what happened to me this week as I thought about all this and had to time, took the time to study it and think about it. I hope that your hearts are just bursting with, with thanksgiving and worship by the end of this time of looking at what God has done to save his people. If you're in Christ, this is six powerful steps that God took to save you. If you're not in Christ, these are six incredibly 
acts of grace and love and goodness by the God of the universe so that you might be saved. And so our prayer is that you are strongly encouraged, that your heart is, is bursting forth with gratitude and worship for God who would go through this to save his people. So let me ask God to do that through his spirit this morning. Lord, as we look at your scriptures and we look at the sermon that Peter preached that day that tells us what you did to save your people. Lord, would you reveal to us the truth Would you, by your spirit, open our hearts and our minds that we might believe, that we might worship, that we might repent of our sin and trust in Christ, that we might be saved. I pray you do that this morning, not just as I prayed all week, not just in this service, or in the second service we had, or in the first service that we had, but that you would do it all across this city, all across Shreveport and Bossier, all over this country, all over the world, as people meet this morning to think about the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. Bring a mighty harvest of salvation and glory to your name. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at Six things that God did to save his people to himself. First of all, what did God do? Peter says in his sermon, God attested. God attested. What do you mean by that? Well, let's look at verse 22 of chapter, Acts chapter 2, verse 22. So Peter, looking at the people, said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus, the one from Nazareth, they all go, yeah, I know you're talking about Jesus, the guy from Nazareth. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. So think about what he's saying. He's looking at a people and he's saying, look, God attested to you that Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, he attested to you and you know good and well that he did. Now, what's he talking about? So the first thing God did to bring you to salvation if you are in Christ, the first thing God did to bring you to salvation if you haven't trusted Christ was that he attested to Jesus In a powerful way, he says three ways, mighty works, wonders, and signs. That word mighty works in the Greek comes from the word dunamis, which is where we get dynamite. It indicates power. So he displayed the power of God in and through Jesus. And it created wonders or astonishment in those who saw this power on display through the G- Jesus' miracles. And all of these were third, signs. They were, they were embodiments of spiritual truths pointing that Jesus is the Son of God. And so the first thing God did to save you, to, that you might be saved, is he attested that Jesus is the God-man. He's divine. 
And he did this by in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He had first-hand eyewitnesses record what Jesus did. He showed that when Jesus showed up, wherever he went, the kingdom of God was present. And what do we know about the kingdom of God? There is no death. There is no evil. There is no sickness. And so wherever Jesus went, he displayed that he is the God-man by bringing forth this supernatural miracles, the power of God. He healed someone who is sick. He healed people who had been sick for ages. And just by their touching of his garment, they were healed of disease. And he would walk up and see some crazy dude who'd been chained up and ran around naked because he was, he was messed up. And what was it? He was demon-possessed. And Jesus cast the demons out. There will be no evil in the kingdom of God. And there was people that he brought back to life from the dead. He just, they, they said, he's dead. Forget it, Jesus, you're late. And he says, no, he's not dead. And they said, this dude, he's so stupid. He thinks, he thinks he's not dead. Or I should say, he's so silly. My kids have grown up. Excuse me, y'all. I got to use my words. Silly. So they said, he's silly. He doesn't think that he's dead. And he is dead. And he said, get up. And they were amazed. Because Jesus was displaying that he had the power of God. Why did Jesus do this? Why did God do this? Why did God have Jesus? Why did God take on the person and enfleshed himself? To walk around to do these miracles. He did it so you could believe. Now it's, thank God that God's not like me. All right? And those of you who know me say, yes, we are very glad that God's not like you. What I mean by that is, if God were like me, he would say, look, I'm God. And I don't owe you anything. I don't owe you explanation. I don't have to prove anything to you. I told you that Jesus is the son of God. Now you believe him or you don't. And if you don't, that's on you. That's what I do. But that's not what God did. God says, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to attest to Jesus being God. I'm going to do miracles. I'm going to have him walk in a way that you can understand. I'm going to have you hear his message be able to touch his skin, be able to walk with him, know his personality, have someone write down and record everything that he said and did with firsthand eyewitness accounts so that you might believe. That's incredible. God didn't have to do that. But God is so good and so gracious. So God attested to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, through these miracles that were mighty works, creating wonder and amazement, and were signs pointing to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. So that's the first thing God did, that you might be saved. He attested. In verse 23, we see the second thing God did. God delivered. God delivered. Look what he says. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He says God had a specific, well-thought-out, detailed plan. And he followed that plan to deliver up Jesus to the cross for you. 
And then he says, and he looks at the people that are listening like you're listening right now, and he looks them in the eyes, and he points his bony little finger at them, and he says, this God whom you crucified and whom you killed, though you did it by the hands of lawless men. So think about what he's saying. Now, is Jesus, is, is Peter preaching to two guys wearing helmets, their, their uh, Roman soldier outfits with the hammer and the nail, and he's saying, look, you crucified Jesus. Is that what he's doing? No, he's preaching to the people because it was their sin that hung Jesus on the cross, though it was carried out at the hands of wicked, lawless, evil men who said he's guilty, who betrayed him and sold him. And though there was a crowd who said, yeah, give us Barabbas, crucify him. Though there was someone else who actually physically hammered the nails in through his wrists and his feet so that he would die a gruesome death on the cross. Peter, speaking to the ones who didn't actually have literal blood on their hands, he said, but you crucified him. Because it's your sin that hung him on a cross. And if he wasn't speaking to the ones who actually hammered the nails and he was making the point that it was their sin that hung them on the cross, then the message is the same for us. He's pointing at Tracy Graham and he is saying, you crucified him. And he's pointing to everyone here and he's saying, you crucified him. And so stop and think, this is the context in which we read about what God has done to save you. He, he's attesting to you and me. When I say you, the rest of this message, I'm in that group, okay? I'm including myself, all of humanity. He is saying to you who crucified Jesus on the cross, he entered into flesh, so that he might know your pain and know your experiences and that he might do miracles so that he might display with power and wonders and give signs pointing you to believe that Jesus is the son of God. He did that for you and he did that for me. Though we're the ones that hung him on the cross. The very ones who committed the crime that put an innocent God-man on the cross. He says, let me do what I can to help you see that Christ is the Messiah who I sent to save you from your sins. So God delivered him over to the very ones who killed him that they, the very ones who killed him, might be saved. This is crazy. This is extravagant grace. This is love like we've never seen or even imagined. That's what God has done that you might be saved. Jesus was not taken by force. It was God's plan. Jesus obeyed the will of the Father perfectly, even unto death. Lived the perfect life of trust or faith in God displayed by his perfect obedience that resulted in his own death that resulted in the great exchange. The great exchange is those who trust in Christ, give Christ their wrath, 
their sin, their death, their punishment, their wickedness. And in exchange, he gives us his righteousness and victory over death and goodness and grace and glory and love and blessing and eternal life. That's, that's insane. How can we not worship God for what he's done? His life was not taken from him. There's also another point here to be taken from this passage that that talks about this interesting dynamic between two truths that are happening at the same time. That they were wicked and evil when they hung them on the cross. But at the same time, that was not outside of God's plan. Do you hear what I'm saying? So evil is happening But God in his wisdom and grace and power uses that the most wicked act ever to bring about the most glorious gift ever. He took the very evil that you and I committed against him and he flipped it on his head to save us. The very people that killed him. And what that means is that when we look around the world and we look at our our phones and the social media and we see evil and wickedness and broken and despair and we experience sickness and death and brokenness in our relationships and people commit evil against us and we lose our jobs and we see injustice and we hurt, what does that mean? It means that when Paul said this, you can look at the cross and take it to the bank. Paul says this, and we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I want you to say all things with me. And we know that in all things. Not some things, not most of the things, not maybe everything except for that one thing that happened to me. No, he says that we know that in all things, God works together for good. Even the evil things. God takes the evil things and works it for good. And if you're saying there's no way that God can do take what happened to me and bring good from it, that you need to look at the cross. And look at the resurrection and see how God is in the business of bringing life from death. The very heart of your Christian faith is God uses evil for good. And he's telling us in his scriptures that you're not in the final place yet. You're living in a place that is riddled with suffering, evil, pain, sorrow. But you can Have hope. The resurrection of Jesus Christ says, God is working for your good if you are in Christ. The Bible talks about it as being in Christ by faith. That when you put your faith in Christ, you are hidden in Christ. And so when God looks at those who have faith in Christ and they're hidden in Christ, God doesn't see their sin. He sees Christ's righteousness. And when Christ died and was buried, those who are hidden in Christ by faith, their old self has died and been buried with Christ. And when Christ rose from the grave, the new creature in Christ raises from the grave to walk in the newness of life. And when Christ ascended to heaven, he says, I will bring you to heaven and we will live with him eternally. 
And so when God says that I rose Christ from the dead and I use all things, all evil, I use everything for good for those who are in Christ, he is counting that for you. So if you believe that Jesus, if you believe that God used the evil against Jesus, your own evil, my own evil that I committed against Jesus, if you believe that God used that to bring your salvation through that, then surely you can believe that God is going to use all things for good in your life. And so I pray that leads you to worship God and to glorify God and to live for him all your days. So what has God done that you might be saved? God has attested to Jesus being the son of God. God has delivered Jesus over to be crucified for you that you might have your sins forgiven. And God has resurrected Jesus from the dead. Look at verse 24, God resurrected. God raised Jesus up and notice what he did in doing so. Loosing the pangs of death. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Again, think about what this means God did for you. You and I put him on that cross. We deserve death for putting him to death. But what does God do? God raised him from the grave that we may never taste death. That's crazy. He raised Jesus from the grave, loosing the pains of death, that we may never taste death. What do you mean? I see believers die all the time. No, you don't. You see their temporary shell that is called a body. The Bible speaks about it as we are eternal souls that live eternally. Eternal life begins the moment we trust in Christ. And this mortal body, it deteriorates, it gets sick and, sick and it fails and it goes into the ground, but the person that we are continues immediately with Christ, never separated from Christ. Nothing can separate you from Christ. And that's the work of God for you, loosing the pangs of death. So when we see Christ rose from the grave, he did that, that his own murderers may never die the death that we put him through. So God is so gracious Jesus himself said in John 3, 16, a famous passage, but this is Jesus speaking. He says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Then Jesus himself said again in John 5, 24, truly, not once, but twice, truly, No, truly, I say this to you. I know you're having a hard time believing this, Jesus says, but truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my gospel word that I've been talking about and believes in him, him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from what? Death. He has passed from death to life. He says, truly, truly, it's true. You believe in Jesus, you don't die. 
You have eternal life. Why? Because Jesus rose from the grave. Because God resurrected him from the grave. Now, sometimes when I think about the fact that God, it says God gave his only son, I think that's a little bit warped. You ever think that? Let's be honest for a minute. You ever think about, isn't that kind of weird that our God would give his son? I mean, I'm glad he did for me, but how is that a good thing that, that my God would give up his son? You ever thought that? Nobody's nodding. Am I the only sick person in here that's thought this? Okay. Oh, yeah, you and I have actually had this conversation. That's right. So how is that a good thing? How is it right for God to give his son to die? Well, we got to remember something. God is his son. The Trinity. It wasn't like they're separate and God's like, well, it's either me or you. So let's draw straws. No. God is the Father. God is the Son. And God is the Holy Spirit. Our little minds can't grasp God. And I'm glad God is not so simple that I can grasp him. That wouldn't be much of a God. But God has revealed enough for us to understand that God, another way to say the same thing of God sending his son is God took on the flesh himself. God gave his own life for us. So God, whom we crucified with our sin, said, I'll take this. It's my plan to die for you. So God did that for you, that you might be saved. What a glorious God we serve. So God attested to Jesus that he is the son of God. He is God in flesh. Believe in him. Look at the miracles. God delivered Jesus by his own definite plan. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna die for you. But God resurrected Jesus so that we would be free from death, the pains of death, be loosened, broke those chains so that we don't have to taste death. Those, who us, those of us who are trusting in Christ and God, the next thing we see, God swore. That's kind of weird, isn't it? God swore. I thought we weren't supposed to swear. Well, God didn't cuss. That's not what that means, guys. That came later. The word swear turned into that. What this means, and you even say, well, I thought we weren't supposed to swear. Well, God can swear because God can guarantee that he can keep his word. We're not supposed to swear because we can't absolutely guarantee on oath anything because we may not be able to deliver as much as we want to or think we can, but God can. And so God swore. In in verses 25 through 28, let me, let me kind of just talk about it so I don't lose you because it gets real confusing. So here's what happens. Luke records Peter's sermon. Peter quotes in his sermon a psalm written by David. And in that psalm, David says, God will not let his holy one see decay. In other words, he won't be eaten by worms in the ground. And then Peter takes that and says, Brothers, David wasn't talking about himself because David's dead and his grave is right over there. He says David was a prophet talking about Jesus. And that's where we'll pick up in verse 29. Peter says, brothers, I will say to you with confidence about the patriarch David That he is dead. He both died and was buried. And his tomb is with us today. And everybody's going, that's true. I know where his tomb is. I've gone and saw it. He's dead. And so he says he wasn't talking about himself. 
In verse 30, he says, David, therefore, is a, was being, being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of David's descendants on his throne. The Bible traces that down to Jesus. He was the son of Abraham, son of David. And so he's saying, David knew that God swore that one of his descendants, Jesus, would be on the throne. Therefore, he saw, he foresaw, verse 31, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. That Christ was not abandoned to Hades, and nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up. And of that, we are all witnesses. What an incredible, complex, but incredible statement that Peter is saying. Peter is saying, listen, God swore to you that this was going to happen. God told us thousands of years ago through David, who was a prophet speaking about this day, saying his Holy One will not see decay. And then he looks to the people listening and he says, you and I are witnesses. We are firsthand eyewitnesses of what God swore he would do. He did it. And we've seen him. We've touched him. We've seen the scars. We've seen him alive after we saw him dead and buried. And then he had Luke record it in the New Testament for us. And so what we have is an incredible gift from God. To the very people who killed him, he has written in his Bible his word. He swore in advance he was going to do it. And he had people see it happen, that he rose from the grave, and he had them record it and keep it a record of it in the Bible. Why? So that you and I would have a record of it. We would open our Bibles and we would see God attesting to Jesus, God delivering Jesus, God crucifying Jesus, God resurrecting Jesus. Why? God exalting Jesus for who? God saying, I swear to you, Jesus is your savior. Put your faith in Jesus. Do you believe? God has attested. God has delivered. God has resurrected. God swore. Next, God exalted. Look at verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. This is the ascension after Jesus rose from the grave. Acts records, he went up into the clouds to exalt, to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And they're all just standing there looking up with their mouth wide open, probably doing a little drooling. The angels go, why are you standing there looking up in the sky? Go, tell everybody about Jesus. Tell him that he died, he buried, he rose again, he ascended to the right hand. He's coming again. Get the word out so that when he comes again, God can gather them to himself. And so God exalted Christ to the right hand of God. And having received, listen to what happens in this exaltation process. Having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has 
poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. This amazing display, this unique outpouring of the new empowering indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. He says, that's what you see going on. It's because when God exalted Jesus, he gave him the spirit to pour out Jesus in a new form. Before the resurrection, Jesus moved, I mean, the spirit of God descended on people, mainly the prophets or the leaders of God's people. But after the resurrection, all of God's people are indwelled with the very presence of God. That he makes us the tabernacle or the dwelling of God. The very people who killed him. He fills them. And what is the spirit called? He is called the comforter. So he's comforting the very people who crucified him. That's insane. With his own presence, indwelling us, sealing us, guaranteeing that we make it to the end, that not one is lost, that nothing can separate us from his love as his murders. Wow. Worship the Father. He exalted him. And in exalting him, he poured out the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this day you yourselves see and you hear. For David did not ascend into heaven. Again, he's saying that's not talking about David. This is Jesus. But he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, David said this, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. And so Peter looks up and says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord, that means master, ruler, and Christ, the promised Messiah who takes away the sins of the world. This Jesus, did he stop there? This Jesus, bony finger and face again, whom you crucified whom you crucified. Our sin crucified Jesus according to the definite plan of God that those who crucified him might be saved. So God attested that Jesus was the God-man that we might believe. God delivered Jesus to the cross that we might, we, his murderers, might be forgiven. God resurrected Jesus that we might not taste death, the very people who put him to death. God swore in advance that we might know it's true. God exalted Jesus that we might have the spirit to comfort us in our trials and our struggles. Finally, God called. Do you hear God calling? What is the call of God? It's you finding this message glorious. You looking at this message and not seeing it as foolishness, but seeing it as the wisdom of God. God wooing you to himself, God giving you 
favor, seeing Christ as beautiful, as wonderful. It's, it's sometimes comes as a little bead of sweat in your hands as you came here, not expecting to find yourself believing this message and thinking, wait, what does this mean? God calls you that you might believe. Listen to Acts 2.37. This is what Luke, the writer of the, this account of Acts, tells us what happened at the end of Peter's sermon. And he says, now when they heard this, what they hear? They heard the message you just heard. When they heard this, the good news that God, what God did to save, what happened? They were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. Their hard, wicked, calloused, angry, sinful, rock-hard hearts were cracked open. God cut through the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? I've been praying all week. Oh Lord, cut to the heart so that we might say, what shall we do in response to this glorious good news? And Peter answers in verse 38. Peter said to them, repent. Repent, that's step one. What does repent mean? It means to turn change directions, turn away from sin and self and, and self-rule. And, and in, in repentance, that is an act of faith. Faith and repentance go hand in hand. If you have faith, you repent. If you repent, it demonstrates you have faith. To repent and turn in a new direction where you're trusting in Christ alone, which results in a whole new lifestyle of living for Jesus. So he says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you at the ones he's talking to, pointing his finger to them. His promise is for you and it's for your children and it's for all who are far off. And that doesn't just mean in a, a faraway town. That means a, a faraway time and place. That means Shreveport, Norris Ferry Community Church. That means the promise is for you. The promise is for you and for your children and, and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. That's who it's for. Is the Lord calling you this morning? Do you hear the Lord calling you through this message? Do you find it attractive? Do you desire to trust Christ as Savior? Do you want to worship him for what he's done? And it says, and with many other words, he bore witness and he continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who receive, those who believe, those who embrace this message, those who trusted Christ, those who repented in faith were then baptized and there were added that day 3,000 people, 3,000 souls. What a glorious day that was. You know what a baptism, how wonderful that is. 
It's nothing more wonderful to see someone saved and changed and picture that in baptism and to watch their life. So different, so glorious. Been praying that God would do that all over the city this morning. So two statements are true at the same time. To be saved from sin, you must take responsibility to turn and repent in faith and believe. And at the same time, God must call you. God calling you, wooing you, wooing me, the very one who hung him on that tree. Praise God for his goodness. Do you hear the Lord calling you this morning? Would you put your faith in Christ? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I want to invite you that if you find God calling you this morning, do not resist the calling of the Lord. You don't have to do anything dramatic, just outwardly, just in the quietness of your own heart. Just talk to God and say, God, I heard the message this morning and I see that you have given me faith to believe. You have called me and I want to trust in Christ today. I implore you, respond to God's calling. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or embarrass you. I'm just going to ask you to do business privately with the Lord. After the service, I'll be available up front. David Granger, the worship leader, will be available up front. If you have a friend in this church, any of us, just tell us, hey, I trusted Christ today, or I want to know more about what we talked about today. Allow us the great privilege of watching God save you and transform you. Father God in heaven, we praise you this day. Lord, as we sing this awesome song about the day that you arrested death and saved us from death and then rose from the grave victoriously to give us life. Lord, as we sing this song, all glory and honor to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.